Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Farmers Capital Conversations, bringing you helpful strategies and practical resources to help you invest on and off the farm. If you find value today, don't hesitate to leave us an honest review and share the episode. Yes, this helps us, but more importantly, it could help someone else along their journey. Now, let's dive in without further ado. The hardest part for me about what I do on social media is I don't always have a solution. And that, and that's one of the critiques that people give me is that you come here with problems, you don't have solutions. And I'm like, these don't have a solution yet. We're not there. But if we don't talk about the problems or how we arrived here, we can't start figuring out how to fix it. Because in agriculture, we have some very pressing issues that we don't really want to talk about or we don't really want to own up to. But from where I sit, those are the things we really need to discuss if we are going to have an industry that we like the look of. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Farmers Capital Conversations. Today, we are joined by Cassidy Johnson, a first-generation rancher, advocate, speaker, and consultant who serves in the, serves the gap between farm and table, or ranch to table, as she likes to say, maybe. She offers an insider's view into the beef industry and agriculture and makes it easy to understand the nuances, challenges, and opportunities facing the industry today. Cassidy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. You are so welcome. Can we make ranch to table a thing or is it already a thing? I think it's already kind of a thing. People actually get really mad when I tell people I'm a rancher, not a farmer, but I literally know nothing about farming, like probably negative things because I know just enough to be dangerous. So I'm always really That's clear. Fair. I'm not a farmer. That's not my skill set. Not like in a derogatory way. you're a first way. generation rancher. I am. I am a first generation City rancher. girl originally? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a suburb of Denver and went to school at CU Boulder, which is, I have a hippie degree from a hippie school. Um, but I've been in the beef business for 13 years. That makes me sound old. No, no, it doesn't. Because I'm right there with you. I think we just have to accept that we're getting old now. I, I don't want to think of it as getting old because like, I always think of all the people who did really cool stuff when they were in, you know, the second half of their life. So I'm like, no, mm -hmm. we're not old. I just know what I want now. I'm not an idiot anymore. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Oh gosh, I might get to my forties and be like, mm. we're actually in the very first part of our adult life. Mm -hmm. No, that's very true. And it's, I was actually thinking the other day, um, cause a lot of people, you know, they, they miss their teenage years or they miss their twenties. And I'm like, oh, I do not, I do not, I did mm. not know myself well enough. Um, now I know who I am and what I'm about. And, you know, when you get a little older, you have your, all your introspection and your personal development that you're doing. And, uh, I do not miss, I don't miss all the uncertainty that comes with being young. Cause I was not like one of those bold, audacious young people, I'm a yeah, kind of a either. warrior. Uh, yeah. And so I didn't like yeah. have this crazy, super fun. No, I was always like worried. <laughs> I mean, I had fun, but I wasn't, I, I worry less now, or maybe I worry more because I have kids, but I worry about things that don't matter a whole lot less than I used to. So that's good. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I agree with your sentiment on the twenties. It was a great time to party. Um, but I'm actually more excited about now that I know what, what change I want to see in the world, like 
going into each day knowing that I feel it's it's like a new it's a new vibe. It is. It's a whole new vibe and I've never been a super existential like why are we here? But there were some days, you know, we spent Beef. my 20s, yeah, my my 20s was spent working <laughs> for ranches mostly, which is not easy and sometimes I wish I would have started the you know the things that we're working on now, but we wouldn't I wouldn't have had the the background or the experience to do them. So it's less of like a, why are we here? And I, and now I know what we would like to see in our industry and in our own lives in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, like we're long-term planning. So that feels nice. Cause we both, you know, in, in so far as we can, right. Cause there's always someone yeah. that's like, you can't, you know, just wait, you know, the, you, what they say about the best laid plans. And I'm like, I know. Thank you. <laughs> I'm well aware, but thanks. <laughs> All right, Cassidy. So what do you do in the ranching world? Well, my we are my husband and I are both first generation ranchers. He is a ranch manager. Um, in the last few years, he's become a ranch manager. Before that, he we just he was a campman or worked on ranches. Um, he our our kind of niche that we have found ourselves in is managing large acreages for mostly absentee owners. Um, we are starting a ranch management comp- consulting company to kind of scale that idea so we could do more than one ranch at once. I am a consultant. I work with ag tech companies on their advisory boards. Um, I do some speaking. Um, I help people communicate. I have some clients that, you know, I write blog posts or social copy for them. Um and basically what I do is just we have a major communication problem in the agriculture industry. And I try to help since I have the understanding of the whole of the other end of our supply chain. You know, we don't have a very connected supply chain, but I've been on the side of not knowing absolutely anything at all about where any of my food comes from. So it makes it easier for me to communicate these sometimes difficult to understand or difficult to explain topics in agriculture to people who don't have the foundation to understand, you know, the jargon and, and the life cycle and, you know, that kind of thing to help bridge that gap that exists. So what are the biggest opportunities that we have to bridge that gap in the ranching industry? We're only going to have more, you know, Jen, a lot of the the speeches I give, the talks I give, or the panels that I serve on are about how do we communicate with Gen Z and Gen Alpha because they're getting older um, in millennials to some degree, I'm a millennial and obviously we're going to be that our, our, uh, buying power is increasing and we're going to see mm-hmm. that in ranching. Um, the average age of a rancher in the United States is pretty, is 60 pretty much. So that is going to be an interesting transition and people are only going to want to know more about where their food comes from. So the opportunity here is for people who actually know how to answer that question because they have experience in production agriculture. That's that they can step in and fill that gap and start to. I speak a lot about being on the offensive as opposed to the defensive because right now in ag we we're very much on the defensive side. We respond instead of setting a narrative, and I think if we can get out ahead of a lot of the issues that we are dealing with and change the narrative a little bit, that's where the opportunity is going to be. Um, 
that's also where the challenges are going to be, of course, because there are very few farmers and ranchers and not everybody wants to or should be a public communicator. That's one of the more contentious things I say on the internet and it makes people mad every time. But I have seen lots of damage caused by people who (laughs) don't have the patience, (laughs) you know, Um, and that's not to say we have to have patience for every kind of inquiry, if you will. Um, We do need to have some and give people grace and help, you know, really be cognizant of the fact that people aren't willfully uh, ignorant of agriculture. It's not something that is that people who live in in urban and suburban areas get any exposure to at all. Like an example I always give people is at my high school, which is one of the biggest high schools in the state. I did not know until my 20s that FFA, Future Farmers of America, was even a thing. I never heard of it before. We had FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America, at my high school. Um, I literally did not know about FFA. I didn't. I barely knew about 4-H. That, that kind of stuff is just not present in urban and suburban communities, much less here's mm-hmm. the life cycle of a cow. All cows are born on farms and ranches. Like, it's just not. And people don't aren't ignorant they literally just don't know and don't have access to that honest truthful information so when we are as speakers and advocates and people in this industry we need to be really careful when we are talking to people who have heard misinformation they don't know it's misinformation they don't know that um, certain news sites and writers and organizations are not giving them a truthful account you know they have an agenda and instead of belittling them and be like, oh, my gosh, how could you believe that? Be like, yeah, I read that article, too. Like, mm-hmm, I understand your concerns. Like, mm-hmm. that would concern me, too. Here is here's the other side of the story. Or let's elaborate on that a little bit. Um, and not everybody's going to want to receive it. Right. Our job is not to show up and convince people. Our job is to build relationships. We are not here to educate. That's the other thing I say that really pisses people off. Our job is not to educate. Our job is to build relationships and bring people along so that they grow in their own understanding without feeling preached at or condescended to, if that makes sense. Can you dive into that a little bit for us? Like, what do you mean it's not your job to educate? I think so, you know, inherently when we are talking to someone about something that we are knowledgeable in and they're not there's this idea that we're teaching right but a lot of people whether consciously or unconsciously when they put on their educator hat they get preachy and they talk down to people and they yep their tone of voice changes and they show up with an agenda and a lot of you know i i have two kinds of agriculture advocacy so i i talk to a lot of kids because i have kids and i'm on the board of our Ag in the Classroom organization in Colorado. But most of my outreach, if you will, is to adults. And adults do not want to be educated. That is the very last thing. You know, they don't want someone to show up and be like, let me tell you all the things that I know that you don't. It's what questions do you have? Mm. How can I help? How can I serve? Where where are the areas that you would like to learn more about? Not because there's this idea of educating where you are giving them this information and expecting them to receive it. It's more like, what are you curious about? What do you what do you want to know? What did you read that you have questions about? 
And that's in, in building that relationship because that's where we get passive advocacy. That's where we get people saying, oh my gosh, I had the best conversation with a rancher the other day and she was telling me about all this stuff. And so they're going to tell all their friends. Now, if you are like, hey, listen, you snowflake, you're an idiot for reading this article on Vox and believing it, which I have seen people say, how, how is that going to make them feel? They're going to shut down. They're going to close their ears. They're going to think you're an a-hole and then they're going to tell all their friends about it. So, and I, I understand why that idea upsets people when I say the word education does not involve, it does not need to be an agriculture advocacy, but advocating and educating mm. are two different things. That's, and we need to remember that um, because I personally, <laughs> I don't like it when people get preachy with me when they, when they think I'm stupid, that's just going to make me mad. And then I'm going to stop listening to them or I'm going to yell at them and call them names. And then everything is ruined forever. I know not everybody is quite as touchy as I am about that. But if we focus instead on engaging, which is also why this is hard on social media, engaging on social and having nuance on social is really, really hard. Um, I have not a low number of conversations on social media that I would rather not. And actually yesterday I did message a person on LinkedIn and said, listen, you and I can trade academic articles all day long. You are not going to convince me and I am not going to convince you. So what are we doing here? You know, we, we, we don't have to agree. We really don't have to agree. If you set out to ch change people's minds, you are not going to succeed, not on social media. If you set out to invite people in and engage and be open to their questions and bring them along you're way more likely to have a positive response for what it's worth. That person never did message me back, which doesn't surprise me because mm, at some point, no surprises there, there. well, there are certain groups with which we don't need to put up with their shenanigans. They're not interested in a dialogue. They're interested in telling me how much I suck and I don't have to receive it. So <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me a lot um, in I don't know if this is like marketing 101 or whatever, but I, I don't know. I learned this along the way. <laughs> building my business it's it's really like the hero versus the guide journey and mm -hmm. when like farmers and ranchers like that when you start to educate people you like you can start to be think that you are the hero in the mm -hmm. story but as as we know like stories are the thing that sticks in people's heads yeah. and but people can only apply themselves to those stories if they are the hero in that story, they are the protagonist mm -hmm. going through the trials and the tribulations and ending up with a lesson learned or an achievement or something like that. And really the experts in the industry, such as yourself, you know, really should be seen as the guide, like helping mm -hmm. the hero along the journey. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's a good. And I have heard people, I've seen marketing campaigns designed around agriculture. Farmers and ranchers are the heroes. And that gets me a little bit because, yes, I think our work is very important, but I don't – there are other people who I would call heroes, you know, first responders, uh, people in the yeah. armed forces, doctors who are working in incredibly adverse conditions and saving people's lives. And that – so that's, you know, when people are like, well, you guys, you know, just – it's it's just so heroic. It's my job. There's not – there's not – like, yes, it's, it's a noble art and it's great that we do this, but – 
you're right. I've never thought about it from the perspective of the hero and the guide in terms of the storytelling framework. Cause I, that's how I think of myself. I'm like a tour guide. I yeah, bring, exactly. you know, I, I, and I answer their questions. I lead them through, I meet them where they are. That's my job. My job is not to say, listen about all of the stuff that I know that you're so stupid that you don't know and hear about mm-hmm. how awesome I am today. Like, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. We all know those people who only talk about themselves and who are always just, have you seen the, I forget what the skit is on SNL where I think it's Kristen Wiig and someone's like, Oh my gosh, you know, I just, I, I grew the most beautiful rose garden. She's like, actually um, I have more rose gardens than anybody in the whole world. And my roses are more beautiful than your roses. And you know, or they're like, I, I read this, I just read this amazing book and She's like, I've read all of the amazing books ever in the whole world. And every amazing book was written by me, actually. Like, you know, the one-upper. That's yeah, and yeah. we we kind of do this this one-upping thing. And I'm like, why? And we do it in we do it within our industry too, which is super delightful when we try to one-up each other in our own industry, especially in public. And it's like, cool. This does not help everyone. And I think it's easier for me to see that because I came from outside this industry. I didn't grow up in it. So I can see things with fresh eyes, but also the eyes of someone who is watching this happen. It's way different to be watching a car accident happen than being in it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can't see all of the components when you're in the middle of it. But when you're standing outside of it, you're like, okay, yeah, all right. I saw how that happened. Okay. And And that's kind of what happens. And here we are this day. Here we are. I like that point, like you said, be a tour guide. I think that's a great way to phrase it. Do you have examples of either clients you're working with or other ranchers in the industry where they are, you know, correctly positioning themselves more as a tour guide? (sighs) That's a good question. Um, I'm about to start hopefully working with a client who is hiring me to do some kind of that work. Um, and I can't talk about them yet because the deal is not done, but they have a really cool uh, a really cool business where they offer a product, but they also offer a service to guide people through the whole process of using that product because it's a product that requires lots of legislate or lots of regulation and rules and stuff. Mm. So they're not like, here's your thing. Have a nice day. They're like, we want you to be successful too. Um, I think direct to consumer beef businesses, when they do this correctly, a lot of them don't do it correctly. Um, I have gotten myself banned from several Instagram accounts because I message them all the time and I'm like, Hey, that's fear mongering. Do better. I get a little, if anyone listening knows about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram one and it's really hard for me to turn off when I know I'm right. (laughs) And sometimes now that I'm self-actualized, I'm getting better. I'm doing the work. I know exactly when I'm doing that. And sometimes I lean in and I'm like, Nope, this is one of those times we can tell people that they should be doing better. But I think if it's a good direct-to-consumer beef company, they are willing to answer questions. They're willing to offer different products that provide, uh, that fulfill some different needs from different customers. They're not going to throw other production practices under the bus. They're going to invite people to come out to their operation to see how they do things. Um, And I know that last component can be scary for people because you don't always want to know people to know where you live in this business. Mm. Um, that can get scary for some folks, depending on where you live in the country. 
in what is happening in your area. Um, but I can't really think of, but th- those are the ones that come to mind the most are the, are the people who are just willing to show up and be genuine and open and a little vulnerable. There is a little bit of vulnerability. I think that's a lot of the, not a lot of the reason, but part of the reason why women tend to do this work. We like to communicate and we're okay with sharing the harder parts. Um, But that's, that's when I see that, that, that relationship go really well is when people are open and they're not, they're not trying to one up anybody because the one upmanship just, it makes it bad. (laughs) It gets old after the, after a while. It really does. And it's, it makes me trust people less personally, like from a consumer perspective. Like if you're always having to constantly one up people, what are you hiding? Why can't you just lean into the quality of your offering and tell me all about it and not worry about that guy? Why are you so worried about that guy? What, what do I should, should I be worried about why you're worried about that guy? And I, (laughs) it's also the negativity. I'm so tired of the use of fear and sensationalism. Like I had a lady tell me on LinkedIn because that's where I'm most active the other day. She said, um, we have to use sensationalism because that is how we get people to pay attention. And I said, in the definition of sensationalism is the word inaccurate. We absolutely do not need to be using sensational news to make people think agriculture is important. Tell your story better. Do better. We do not need to lie to people. That's ridiculous. Um, And I know not everybody feels that way. I know clickbait works. I know short snappy headlines and and short snappy copy is how people think they want to consume information um whenever people tell me that though i'm like listen i regularly max out the character limit on linkedin and people still read my (laughs) stuff so maybe i just have a group of people who love to read (laughs) but maybe not maybe not everybody needs short and snappy well there's definitely folks out there um my dad, for one, he will read four days, and I myself am trying to get more in, in that habit, reading um, very large white papers. Um, but LinkedIn is an interesting place because it's this weird mix of professionalism and becoming more of a social media influencing mm-hmm. site. I don't know. It's a very strange place for me. So um I see some farmers and ranchers, you know, posting stuff on there and I see the same stuff that you do and agree with you that sometimes it can just be a little bit too much. And I like you like to focus on the real value proposition and whatever you're doing. Like for me is diversifying off farm into real estate so you can financially diversify your portfolio and get out of you know, rural America, a lot of the investments aren't that well. So it's like, what are the pain points that I'm trying to solve for farmers and ranchers? And, you know, that happens. Consumers that we're growing this food for also have pain points. They want nutritious kids or nutritious kids, maybe that too, um, <laughs> but they want nutritious food <laughs> for the kids. Like that's a pain point. And mm-hmm. So I think if we just start talking more in terms of like pain points and solutions, like solution sets to solve that, um, it's a little bit more of a harder, I guess, copy to to write yeah. and publish. But then it, you get away from the sensationalism and the huge emotions and you can just 
start talking real. Yes. And I, I think the nicest, um, I was at a conference a few weeks ago and a man who's followed me on LinkedIn, a rancher for a long time, he happened to be there too. And he said, you write exactly like how you talk. You act the same as you do in real life as you do on social media. And that's probably the best compliment that anybody could give me because I, I try to do that. And I think when people, I think the short snappy copy and the, I think people are trying to write to too many audiences. I think they're trying to make too many people happy because people tell me all the time, your, 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 your copy should be shorter. And I'm like, if you want shorter copy, go somewhere else. That's not how I write. I tell stories. And so that means I am long form. I like nuance. I like to be able to explain myself. I like to be able to dive in. And I think other people appreciate that too, especially when it's something like our food system, which not very many people understand. They don't understand. Like I just did a, I think it was five or six videos on the big four. And most of those videos were over three or four minutes long, which in internet time is like, what? It's so long. And people really enjoyed them. Um, I got lots of positive feedback from them. And I, you can't talk about the really difficult issues in agriculture in like a hundred characters. That's not, that's not how it works. And if we're going to change anything, we're going to have to learn how to have really deep, difficult conversations. The hardest part for me about what I do on social media is I don't always have a solution. And that, and that's one of the critiques that people give me is that you come here with problems. You don't have solutions. And I'm like, these don't have a solution yet. We're not there. But if we don't talk about the problems or how we arrived here, we can't start figuring out how to fix it. Because in agriculture, we have some very pressing issues that we don't really want to talk about or we don't really want to own up to. But from where I sit, those are the things we really need to discuss if we are going to have an industry that we like the look of. You know, no one is coming to save us. And so one one of the other common talks I give, especially to producers, is we're always going to have farming and ranching. 100%. People got to eat. But if you want to be a participant in if you're if you're going to want to have control over or like what this few, this industry looks like in 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to have to care a little bit here. You're going to have to start having these conversations. You're going to have to start engaging with these groups cuz guess what? You don't control as much of this this deal as you think you do. And there's two ways you can go about that. You can throw up your hands and say, "Well, shit i'm sorry i don't know if i should cuss on this podcast oh no i, I just got yelled at it it's for okay. cussing on somebody we'll else's podcast oh shoot oh it's darn okay. yes there, there <laughs> um, you go cassidy fiddlesticks <laughs> i guess we just can't do anything about it <laughs> you know the other the other approach which is my preferred approach is great we know this is a problem how do we fix it what's next what is the next what is ours to do what's mine to do how, what, what is the next right step? And part of that is going to be talking about the problems because we don't want to talk about them. It's like, you know, when you have uh, a funny uncle and he's done some weird things in his life, like the British Royal family. Here we go. You've got old cousin Andrew, who's <laughs> up to some sa- shady stuff. Okay. Everybody knows that we don't yeah. want to talk about, about cousin Andrew and his uh, felonious activities. Strangely, though, someone's going to find out about it. Mm-hmm. And then it's no longer 
the family's narrative anymore. It's no longer theirs to control. So then they're going to have to react to whatever the media has decided to be fair. Like, listeners, I that guy is terrible, okay? He got everything that he deserved, and he probably should have gotten more. <laughs> Stripped of his royal titles is not maybe a bit more should have been coming his way. But, you know, we, we sit here and we, we, we react. But at what point are we going to find ourselves in a situation that we can no longer react to and we're just stuck with? Like, that's I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about when no. people who don't know anything about our industry making all the laws that control it. Like, ugh. we already know what that feels like in some cases. So why would we willingly mm -hmm. sign up for a future in which we aren't in the dang room? Um, the third thing that I say on LinkedIn that really pisses, this is the most surprising thing that I say that makes people upset is if you are in a business or you are um, doing anything that involves production agriculture, climate policy, farm and ag policy, farm and ag businesses, um, ESG that may involve um, offsets from farming and ranching, you need to have a production agriculturalist in that room, not a scientist not an academic, not a hobby farmer. You should have all those people too, but you need to have somebody who's mo who's living is made by production agriculture because they're going to provide you a completely different perspective and tell you things that you did not know. They're an expert in their field, um, which doesn't mean they shouldn't continue growing, you know, gaining knowledge. People are mm -hmm. like, no, if you say expert, that means they're not learning anymore. Um, the guy who has farmed for 40 years and knows a lot about his his farm and the general environment of farming in the United States is a little bit more of an expert than you and me. You know, that's why I tell people for I'm not sure. a farmer. I don't know anything about it. So that really upsets people. Um, and I remind them that it's a both and not an either or. I'm not saying kick everybody else out and let this guy do all the work or this this gal. But yeah, we love to do things that involve farming and ranching without any input from farmers and ranchers or. On the flip side, we get these movements that are fueled by one kind of producer, um, usually small. And I have no problem, guys. I love I love big and we need them all. But if you are going to design a resilient food future for the United States, you have to get the big guys, too. Everybody has to be in on it. So you can't just like cherry pick your your folks. And that's really hard. That's really hard. And I get it because sometimes you don't really we don't want to hear what the other guy has to say because it may not quite fit so nicely into our narrative, but that's kind of your ego talking and it can be really uncomfy, super uncomfy. I've had lots of uncomfortable conversations where I'm like, Ooh, I thought I knew, but I don't. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to go edit that LinkedIn post like BRB. I'm going to go fix that. Yeah. But we don't love being uncomfy in ag. Um, anywhere really. Anywhere, it's an ego anywhere thing. it it's, it is. And it's in ag though, you know, our margins are so tight and our profits are so small. I argue it should not be that way, but it's never going to change if we don't get uncomfy because comfy is how we got here. Like yeah. that's how we have arrived. at Super cozy. Yep. We've been cozy. We've been just head down doing our thing. And guess what? You're going to pick your head up, you know, like, I always think about when we're horseback and I'm ready to go somewhere and my horse is like, you know, wandering around with, with his head on the ground, pick your head up and move. Let's go. We don't, we don't, we're not, this is here and this place is not where we need to be. We need to be over there and you're not going to get over there by looking at the ground and eating grass and being generally a pain in the rear chug. That's my favorite horse. 
he comes by his Chug, name very his name name. Is Chug. He's he's delightful. <laughs> he just sometimes you have to remind him that we're here to work. Once he gets in that mode though, he's good. He is good. He's good. Speaking of delightful things, what is one exciting thing that you're looking forward to in the future? I personally, I'm really excited to see we're we're starting a business that makes us excited. It makes us scared. Um, But I am excited to see what happens when we have uh, more young people in this industry again. We have an aging industry. Um, That's neither here nor there. I'm not saying like, we should get rid of all the old people. Nope. They bring a lot of tradition and a lot of knowledge and a lot of of things we need to know, right? Um, We don't, I'm not... uh, I'm not getting mad at the elders. My grandma's like my best friend and she's 90. So let's let's get real here. But I'm excited Go to grandma. see what happens. Oh, my grandma's awesome. She's great. She's still like she has way she's a way more robust social life than I do. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens when we embrace new ideas and when we get better at welcoming people into this business. Right now, we're not good at that. Um, it's very difficult to be a first generation farmer rancher, both financially and like socially. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, it can be a difficult mm-hmm. tribe to break into. Um, but I'm interested to see what happens when we get people who are interested in doing something different, not for the sake of doing something different, but for the sake of, you know, the family farm or the, the land that they manage and take care of. because. Innovation, I think, you know, in, in ag, we always think of innovation as being ag tech. I don't, I'm not sure that's, that's where all of our innovation is going to come from. It's going to be people literally doing things slightly different than have, has been done before and not throwing all tradition and out the door. Right. I talk about that all the time. We, there, there's lots of really good traditions I think we should keep because they do, you know, we'll use horses forever. They work better for us than a four wheeler and that's the traditional way to do it. Right. But I'm interested yep. to see what happens when we marry innovation and tradition with the idea of moving the entire industry forward one operation at a time and focusing on quality and profit over this is how we've always done it and that will never work. Um, because there are going to be farms and ranches that go out of business in the next decade because they won't do anything that's not this is how we've always done it, which is hard. It's really hard. I don't like to think about that, but. We, we see it all the time. So, yeah, small incremental positive changes to just to change. We have to change. I think farming along with the ranching where you're coming from, um, I think we all we have a long way to go, but I think it's important that, like you said, we be vulnerable, we be transparent, and we be open to not knowing everything and open to different ideas and opinions and inviting younger people into this industry who are excited about it and share the passion. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think, I think that's great, Cassidy. I've really enjoyed today's conversation for sure. Um, I love your attitude, everything that you're doing over there on LinkedIn, your consulting company, keep on rocking it. Where can people get a hold of you to learn more about you? Um, on LinkedIn and Instagram, I'm Cass K. John. And then my website is CassKJohnston.com, I think. 
<laughs> I don't actually ever go Perfect. to my own website. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to direct all the traffic there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I Just haven't updated it, it in super like a uncomfy. year. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will write new blog posts for that eventually. Maybe. There you go. Cassie, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Absolutely. To all listeners, you know what to do. If you feel like it, if you found value, please share. Send it to your bestie, BFF, and look forward to another episode next week. See ya.